0: So, uh, before I start, I want to give you the absolute disclaimer that this message is for me and me alone. I hope that you can take it and use it, but it's a message that was given to me, it was given by me, it was given by God to me, about me. uh, And I'm just going to relay it to you because I feel like he wants me to do that. Uh, if you can get something out of this message, awesome. If not, then just celebrate with me that God's working in my life and that he's teaching me and helping me to grow. Uh, if, I, if you feel like I'm stepping on your toes, that's between you and God. It wasn't intentional uh, because my toes are all kinds of sore over the last two or three weeks of him working on me. Now, Lisa asked me Friday if we were going to jump all around in the Bible again like we did last time. I didn't answer her because uh, I knew that that was going to be the case. So I'll try to give you time to write down the scripture references at least, and uh, we're going to go through the Bible pretty quick. I'll try to give you time to get to those uh, references so that you can follow along. But... If I just have some that I read for name for time's sake, just to get through those, just bear with me. But if you want me to stop, raise your hand, shout out. I'll stop and wait on you as long as we have to. Just remember it's not my fault if we go over and don't get to the lunch before the Methodists do. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that the image of the potter and the clay started meaning to me over the past few weeks. So much so that as you saw... I felt uh, to do exactly what God had told Jeremiah to do so Monday I went to the Whistletree pottery shop down here on the corner of River Street and I told Art Carlson, I said Art I've never met you before but God's given me a a word and I think he's put you on my heart can I come down here and film you working on some pottery and he said sure If you ever get the chance to meet Art, drop in there. Tell him you heard about him from me. Uh, He's got a great story. He's a wonderful guy. Josh and I had just a great time visiting with him. Uh, But I realized while I was there exactly why Jeremiah was told by God to do exactly what he did. God told him, get up, go out, go to the potter's house. He had to actually see it being done for it to come alive to him. And that's one of the reasons why... I wanted you to see the video. It's, uh, it's just that the process of making an earthen vessel out of clay is the perfect analogy for uh, God's work in our life. And one thing that struck me was the t- times that the potter will actually talk about the clay as if it has a personality, like it, it has thoughts and like it's talking to them. Not only did Art do this while we were watching him uh, and visiting with him, but other videos that I've watched and studied for this purpose, uh, getting ready for today, they also did that. One guy even named his pieces of pottery, David and Susie, and they were talking to each other and having a conversation. Now, I'm not going to do that today, but I did bring some of my favorite pieces. This one, Art made. It's got my water in it because I'm a little parched. Uh, This blue bowl over here. A good friend of mine Lisa and I got to know him when when uh, we were dorm parents at Reinhardt College and he was a martial artist and we started working out together and I recruited him to come work at the sheriff's office down in Cherokee County he's at Pickens County as a captain now and he's just thrown his name in the hat for sheriff down in Cherokee County I hope he wins he's a good man and then this one here this is very special to me on the bottom of it it's marked BGOG by the grace of God 2000 and this was made by Lee Taylor just before he sold his law practice and took off with his family to venture around the nation as God was telling him to do. Lee and Randy Durden and uh, Jim Fox, several others of us were all in a prayer group for several years together. And uh, we still got that prayer group going on today, but that was made by Lee. And the cool thing about it, it's made out of Gilmer County clay. And I took that down to Cherokee County and sat it on my desk because I could always have a little part of Gilmer County with me while I was down there working. Well, man is created from the dust of the ground. We are literally clay. God makes beautiful people and beautiful lives out of dirt. Dirt, once it becomes clay, is plucked from the ground. It's actually harvested. And then it goes through this process that the potters call wedging. And when you watch that happening, and if you think about the clay being a person, it looks painful. Because what they do is they take that clay and they cut it and they cut it and they cut it and then they mold it together and they press it and they pound it and they cut it and press it and pound it, cut it, press it, pound it. This happens over and over and over and over and over until all of the air bubbles are worked out. All of the impurities come to the center, come to the top and are plucked out of that. Now imagine that clay once it's gone through all that and the potter takes it and sits it on the shelf and it just sits there. And it just sits there. By itself, it's never going to become a pot. On its own accord, it can never become anything. If it just sits there, it's going to dry out in the sun, and it's going to become useless, fit only for the trash heap. But if it surrenders itself to God and to the potter's hands, then the potter, you saw, plants it firmly on the wheel. He actually slammed it, slapped it down. That's why it's called throwing pottery. And that makes a firm foundation right in the middle of the wheel. It's not going to slide off the wheel. And as the potter spins the wheel, he has his hands on it, on the clay surrounding it. The clay can't see the potter, but they can feel him all over him, all around him. And this is a process that is like a person who's coming under conviction. They're not a Christian, but they feel the potter's hands and the potter on them, and he feels working on them, and yet, what do they have to do? Art and I were were talking, and I was watching him do this, and he actually said, at one point, he was working it and working it, and he actually said, the clay wants me to work with it now. You must yield to Christ If you don't, you'll be like a lump of clay, all dried up in the sun, unusable, and fit only for the trash heap. Now, once we are fully yielded, given our lives to Christ, the potter then begins the process, getting us ready to be made into something beautiful, something only he knows about. After he's picked us up and slammed us on the potter's wheel, centered us, he firmly planted that clay there. What's the very next thing that happens? He holds that clay in his hands. It's kind of wobbly. But he holds it until it becomes still and it becomes, it becomes uniform in his hands. And while he's doing that, and that clay learns to become still and lumps, that's kind of like us spending time alone with God in, in the Word. And, and that's very integral for a new believer and very integral for all of us because that uniformity that teaches us how to be still in God. Now, what's the very next thing that happened? You saw that Art took his thumbs and pressed them down into the center, and then he had his hands in the center, and he pressed them down, and he started opening a hole in the middle of the clay. And what that happened, the clay opens up, allowing the potter to bring his hands. The the potter's hands have been on the outside the whole time. It's been an outward work, but now he is inside, and he's creating an inward work. But that clay has to yield to him. Once that happens and he's driven his hands all the way down to the base, all the way down to that clay's core, he starts holding the inside and pressing firmly. Once the potter has that hole formed into the base of clay, he does what's called making his pull or pulling. You saw Art said, I'm making my first pull. Well, He had one hand on the inside and one hand on the outside, gently pressing from both directions. And if you'll imagine this for just a moment, this is like the Spirit of God being on the inside of that vessel. And our worldly experiences be on the outside. Those pressures, those hateful and hurtful things that happen to us in the world, those sickness and the death, all on the outside pressing in. And yet the Holy Spirit and the the hand of God is on the inside. He is our strength and our foundation. And those things pressing together with a clay, us, in the middle, what happens? We start to grow vertically into the vessel that he wants us to be. This is a perfect picture of what's pointed out in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. Now, the NIV version said we are hard pressed from every side, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. We are jars of clay, hard pressed on every side. When we stand up to those pressures from every side and yield to the potter's hands inside, we grow vertically and we are protected from being crushed, from despair, from abandonment and from destruction. If we yield to the pressures from the outside, then we lose our shape. We become too thin and we will crumble. You saw that in the video. It fell apart while it was spinning. Well, this is the stage in our lives when God looks at us and he says, No, I have plans for you. I want you to grow tall. I want you to grow strong. These pressures and these experiences that you're feeling from the outside, they're necessary for you to grow. Yield to me. And this takes us through some major transitions in our lives. Think back to the video of of Art working at the wheel. Do you remember what he said about the malleability of the clay? The plasticity? He said that, above all, the plasticity and the malleability was the most important quality of the clay. And as he put it, it's everything. How does that apply to us as individuals? And church, more importantly, how does that apply to us as a church, as the body of Christ? Media inundates us with messages all about self-help and self-esteem. Pop psychology says that in order to be an emotionally healthy human being, that you must be absolutely looking after yourself first. To thine own self be true, right? Be strong, be positive, stand up for yourself and rise above the others. Well, if truth be told, we as Christians are inundated with some of that so much that we start letting it creep into our own lives. Statements like, I'm just not getting fed at church. It's not doing anything for me. Well, statements like that stem from those kind of thoughts. And turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. <laughs> I'd like to share something with you there. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to read 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip down to 15 therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love as christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god now skip down to 15. look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of time because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what is the will of the lord and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the important part. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Certainly, the last thing that the world sees is that in order for us to be truly fulfilled as a human being, that we should actually submit to other people. Yet, that's exactly what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. The wisdom of God is completely counterintuitive. It's the unnatural thing. For instance, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, For whosoever should save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. In Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said that if you want to be the greatest among people, then you must become a servant. The Bible says that if we want to truly live, then we must die to ourselves. As we read, as we just read in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that if we want to be truly fulfilled, then we need to empty ourselves and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, who remembers when the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was being worked on and published? Y'all remember that? Do you remember the news media? What captured the news media's attention? Well, it was that the fact that the Baptists had the audacity not only to believe, but to state that they believed that wives should submit to their husbands. And it was was all over the news media. That's the only message that they had. Somehow, in our vocabulary, to submit has come to mean to give up and be the ultimate loser. It means that someone else is dominant and rules over you, and you have no control over your life. You are subservient with no voice. What a sad and pitiful definition of a wonderfully empowering biblical concept. The world just didn't get it when they lambasted the Baptists back in 2000. But we got it because we know the rest of the story and we know how it all fits together, right? Or we're supposed to. So, okay. Now it's time for a spiritual gut check. When I was training with Mr. Cocker and I was uh, a newly promoted first gut getting ready for my black belt test, there was a time when I had to stand in this stance called the horse stance with my knees bent real low and my hands out behind me and a black belt came up to me and gave me a gut check, seeing what I was made out of, seeing if I'd been training. Well, here we go. I hope you'll bear with me, but I need you to follow the instructions. I'm going to read a chapter, I mean a verse from Hebrews. and You can go ahead and turn there. Hebrews 13. And when I read this, this is a participating part. But all you've got to do is real easy. When I read this, I want you to capture the first thought that comes to your mind when I read this. That's all. Just capture it because we're going to have to come back to it. So I'm going to read this verse, and this is going to be your temperature gauge, your spiritual temperature gauge, your checkup, your gut check. Okay? You ready? All right. It's down to 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Capture your thought. What's the first thing that came to your mind? What's the emotion that brought up? Was it positive? If so, awesome. You did better than me. Because i got to confess, when the Lord was putting this on my heart, I had some negative thoughts going through my head, some negative emotions. My first thought was, yeah, right, I'm not going to submit to those guys. They don't know me. They don't know what my voice is. They don't know what my thoughts are. They don't know what my emotion is. They don't know what I'm going through. Then my next thought was this. Lord, you want me to stand in front of that church and say this? They're going to think i've got some kind of ulterior motive they're thinking i'm going to use scripture for my own purposes that's not the case at all my consciousness caught me and i remembered another sermon recently and i realized that that was sinful fear the lord put this message on my heart am i not to submit to him regardless of the consequences or what people might say to me on monday morning or say about me behind my back on monday morning well All right. So maybe there's something we don't understand here. Let's put it all together. Let's go back there. We all believe that the Bible is God-ordained, God-written, infallible. It applies to all of our lives. It's 100% true and 100% correct for all times and circumstances. Correct? Amen. Amen. So let's go back and look at who Paul was talking about. Who were those leaders that he was talking about? Did he include himself in that? Was it worldly leaders or just the church leaders? What was it? Well, let's go back. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Look at 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. See his use of the word us and we. Paul was including himself in that group of leaders. Therefore, in this context, he's talking about the leaders of the church. He was also telling the people of the church how to submit to the authority of their leaders and why. He said, pray for us. He was telling them, we have a clear conscience. We desire to live honorably. We have a desire to serve you and to live honorably. Pray for us and do this so that we may be restored to you that i may be restored to you you see he was isolated and he was alone paul knew about isolation he knew about separation he knew about distance he knew what it felt like to be isolated and alone much like many of our leaders in our church today feel isolated and alone he needed and coveted their prayers he was also willing uh, to, or he was also telling them why they should submit so that it would be a joy and not a burden for the leaders to do their jobs, the duties for which they were selected and ordained to perform. He was telling the church members to care more about their leaders' joy than those, their own desires and their own thoughts. That would be no advantage to you, that it would actually be no benefit. Biblical mutual submission is not about one person winning and everybody else losing. Biblical submission is never a one-way street. Paul tells wives how and why to submit to their husbands, but he also tells husbands how and why to submit to their wives. Same thing with parents and children and children to parents. You see, what Jesus wants to see happen is that when we, that we never have to worry about guarding our own self-esteem or building ourselves up. He wants to do that himself through the body of Christ, through other believers. And although not the primary purpose of the church, this is a very, very very fundamental reason that the church exists. Are you looking for a reason to believe that organized church bodies are important and relevant today? Well, Jesus Christ building you up and guarding you through other Christians. That seems like a good decision, good reason. When we submit to others and esteem them, not only are they built up, but we are too. We're built up because in submitting ourselves to others and deferring to them out of the love of Christ, we end up being like Jesus. But let me give you an even deeper reason for Christians to submit to each other, for you to submit to other Christians. It's simply not in order to feel better about yourself and to have your self-esteem built up. The real reason to submit to others is given in the last part of the text from Ephesians chapter 5 that we read. It says we do it out of reverence for Christ. So what does that mean? Well, in Matthew chapter 25, there's a parable about the final judgment. And if you'll remember in that parable, Jesus has just separated the goats from the sheep. He puts the goats on his left, sheep's on his right. Sheep's. Sheep on his right. You know what I meant? <laughs> well, Jesus made a big deal out of saying that whenever we serve the poor and we visit the prisoner and comfort the sick and so on, that we do these things for Jesus. And in fact, he doesn't say we do them for Jesus. He's saying we do them to Jesus. So that when you clothe a naked person, you clothe Jesus. When you feed a hungry person, you're feeding Jesus. When you house a homeless person, you're housing Jesus. And when you submit to a brother or sister in Christ, You're submitting to Jesus. Submission is not about us putting ourselves down. It's really about lifting other people up. When a husband, loving his wife, submits to her with the purpose to help her become the most wonderful person in Christ that she can be, he lifts her up. And in the process, in the amazing way that God works, the husband ends up being lifted up in the process as well. He is one with his wife. So if she's lifted up, so is he. The same concept applies to all of us as a church body. How do I know this? Let's go to 1st Corinthians chapter 12. 1st Corinthians chapter 12 And we're gonna start with the second part of verse 24, which be 24B. I had a preacher say that one time and I kept looking for the little B and I saw a Z, but I know no B. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, All rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's plain that the concept of submission in our society is not a concept we easily take a hold of. It conjures up images where the person who submits is always on the losing side. The interesting part when you read scripture is the obvious benefits of this type of submission. According to Christianity, the person who submits is the winner. The church and the individual. So think about it, students, teachers. When the students are in the classroom and they submit to the teacher, who's the beneficiary? Who's the biggest beneficiary? It's the students. When parents and children are in a relationship together in the home and the parents are submissive to the parent, or the the children are submissive to the parents, who benefits? It's the children. And when you, as an individual, submit yourself to Jesus Christ through his grace and receive salvation and an eternal glory, who's the beneficiary of your submission? Who's the greater beneficiary? You are. But the flip side is also true. If my wife suffers humiliation, so do I. If my sons suffer, so do I. If my brother in Christ suffers, so do I. And if the leaders that I helped elect, select, and ordain in this church suffer hardship and humiliation, so do I. And so do you. So if I try to raise myself up by putting others down, what I really end up doing is pushing all of us down. If I say something negative about another person, another brother or sister in Christ, it might make me feel better at the moment. But what have I done to the body of Christ? How much better is it to willingly submit to raising others higher and higher and being pulled aloft by the upward momentum that we all enjoy at that moment? Well, the last word that came to me was this. Do we as a church body need the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our midst? Amen. The, yes. Yes. Amen. Thank you. An overwhelming yes. I got two next questions. Number one, are we willing? Number two, what happens if we're not? Well, the answer to one of these questions is very comforting. And the answer to the other question, well, it's kind of terrifying. I started this thing out by reading from Jeremiah 18.3. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. If it seems good to the potter, can he remake, totally remake a spoiled vessel? In the video you watched, the Art had this vessel spoil in his hands. And what did he do? He clumped it up, remolded it, and he started reforming it into something totally different. He changed it from what it was into what it should be. God has a design for us and he has a design and a plan for our church. He knows what he wants it to look like, but we don't. But we should know that when it's finished, if we're yielding to him, that it's gonna be totally pleasing and useful to him. All we have to do is yield to his hands, which are on the inside. We've got the pressures of this world and all of the nastiness that goes along with it on the outside. And we have that proper response to grow from those pressures and lean on the master potter's hands. So what happens if we don't change and yield to God's will and design for our church? Isaiah 45, 45, 9 says this, Woe to him who strives with him or fights against him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making, or your work has no handles? Turn to Galatians chapter five. So Galatians chapter five, let's look at fourteen. Let's start we'll start in thirteen. by one another. Skip down to 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The message is clear. Not yielding to each other brings destruction. Yielding to each other and to Christ demonstrates the fruits of the Spirit. So we went once. Let's go back again to 2 Corinthians. We read that earlier, but this time I'm going to ask you to give me a little license because I'm going to take the the subject matter of we are and I'm going to strategically place it in there. It doesn't change the meanings at all. It's the places where it's implied in the sentence anyway. But we have this treasure, Second Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not given to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Now skip down to verse 15. Why is all this happening? For it is all for your sake, for our sake. Or as the NIV says in this version, it says, this is all for your benefit. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, the solution is easy. It's outlined in the Holy Scripture. We are jars of clay, and we hold a treasure inside of us. He is making us and forming us into something beautiful, and by allowing us to go through some pressure, some hardship, seemingly from every side, and by His Holy Spirit and His hand on the inside firming us up and holding us up, and by our submission to one another out of the reverence of Christ, focusing not on what we see, but what is unseen. Not focusing on the troubles of this world, but on the master's hand, we grow tall and useful. It's not the pressures from the outside that feels like they're going to crush us that matters. It's the potter's hand on the inside that matters. He's pulling us up, making us into a beautiful vessel to be filled by his spirit. And the work that he has for us to be used in this world is a, is a mighty, mighty way and it's for his purpose. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. Amen. We are all the work of your hand. You may be here today, and you felt the, the potter's hands upon you. You felt him holding you until you were kind of wobbly, and you felt him holding you, and you and felt his hands pressing on you and you may want to yield to him so that you don't sit on that shelf and dry out in the sun and become useful for nothing but else but the trash heap. If that's the case, then you need to surrender to Christ today. Amen. You may have some other pressing of the Spirit in your life. You may have someone who you are out of fellowship with and you need to go to them and and ask them to forgive you or you need to go and ask someone uh to work things out with you now's the time but church we need to learn to submit to each other we need to learn to submit to the christ and it's a it's a mystery it's a mystery it's hard to understand because it's totally totally counterintuitive but Over and over and over again, we hold this up and say we believe it and we believe all of it. The world is outside watching to see if we practice what we preach. We need to do that. And we need to commit ourselves today that from this day forward, we've got our eyes straight ahead. Right, Brother Emiel? We're not going to turn and look where we've been plowing behind, are we? I'm going to ask uh, Brother Mike to stand up here. If you want someone to pray with you and you need to uh, do business with the Lord, just come right ahead. Uh, and Scott um, will pray for us. Uh, and then, uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, thank you so much for your word. and. I thank you for the peace of mind that surpasses all understanding, and I thank you that you your hand is at work in our lives and that you care for us and that you have a design for us and that you will reveal that to us because if we seek it, we will find it. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to open our hearts and our minds so that we can see what it is that you would have us to be, what it is that we would need to know so that it is that we can do what we need to do. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.